Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. In this passage, we are about to read, Joseph is 17 years old. He has dreamed a couple of dreams and shared them with with his family. If you were here last uh, <clears throat> last week, you know about that. Um, we saw last week that Joseph's brothers uh, hated him, and and every every dream that hatred would get worse, and 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 uh, last week I said, and I believe this, that hatred played a big role in Joseph's life. Uh, not hatred from from his perspective, but hatred from his brothers and and so on and so forth. But it played a big part in his life, and and <clears throat> we can assume that Jacob or, or Israel, his 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 dad, was grooming Joseph to take over the business. We talked last week about the the coat of many colors was a uh, symbolic gesture um, uh, that Joseph, uh, that yeah, Jacob was going to be turning over the family, quote unquote, the family business uh, to Jacob. So we can assume uh, there's some assumptions we can draw from that, and that is that that Jacob and Joseph were planning to make the transition. Does that make sense? I mean, if you're going to turn a family business over to a, a, a child, uh, you, you're not going to wait until you die to do it, hopefully. You're going to, it's going to be a process. So we can assume that Jacob and Joseph were working on a transition plan, if you would. And as I, as I sat and I thought about it, I thought, you know, when I was 17, uh, I had no plan for my life. I had really no purpose. I was, I was searching. Uh, that's one of the reasons I went in the military. And those of you guys that have been in the military probably understand exactly what I'm talking about. Um, because I had no plan, no purpose in life, I just, I thought, well, you know, mom and dad are going to kick me out pretty soon. I better get somewhere that's going to feed me. Um, but no, teasingly, I, um, I didn't. I, I was searching. There, I, I knew that there was more to life. And uh, I, I, you know, back when I went in the Navy, the, the, the slogan was, join the Navy and see the world. Uh, that's a lie, by the way, okay? Just saying, I just, <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I want to stop here because, and, and I want to clarify something. I, I, I think that making plans it, it, it are a good thing. Um, uh, God, I believe that God tells us that we need to plan our lives. Uh, uh, he does not want us to just kind of wander aimlessly through life. Um, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says, "There, uh, Where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. So obviously, um, uh, God wants us to plan our lives. We want, he wants us to have a vision and to plan our lives. Um, 
where we get into trouble is when we forget to include God into our plans. Okay, that's where we get in trouble. Um, I, I read something years ago that helped me understand how to plan my life. Um, uh, I, uh, a guy named Hudson Taylor was a, was a great missionary, I, I believe in the 1700s. He wrote this, and uh, when I read this many years ago, it, helped, it, it just helped me solidify how to plan uh, my life. He said this, he said, um, uh, we can make our best plans and try to carry them out in our own strength, or we can carefully uh, make plans and ask God to bless them. Or, yet another way of working is to begin with God to ask His plan and to offer ourselves to Him to carry out His purpose. And I, I like that. Because oftentimes, there, there's, basically there's three ways to make plans. So one, one, we make our own plans. The second way is to make our own plans and say, okay, God, will you bless this? And then the third way is to start with God and say, okay, God, what do you want for my life? And then to yield to that plan. So planning is important, okay? So <clears throat> the title of my message this morning is The Journey Begins. The Journey Begins. Uh, the, the journey of Joseph's life begins in this chapter, chapter 37. <clears throat> Joseph, Joseph's journey, if you would, is going to take him places that he could have never imagined. Never in a million years would Joseph have dreamed that he was going to go places that God had planned for his life. Let me say this. God has the same plans for you and me. If we will let him have his way in our lives, he can take us places beyond our wildest imaginations. But we have to let him work in our lives. Genesis chapter 37. Let's start reading in verse 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's <coughs> flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brothers feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said unto him, Here am I. And he said, he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word. So he sent him out of the vow of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, saying, What seek ye, seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed hence. For I heard them say, Let's go 
to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when he saw, excuse me, and when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. <clears throat> and they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into the pit, and we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will uh, become of his dream. And Reuben heard it. He delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, uh, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might uh, uh, rid uh, him out of their hands and to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. And they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices and balm and myrrh, going to carry down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother or uh, conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand, excuse me, and let not our hand upon him, for he is our brethren, and our flesh and his brethren were content. Then there passed by the Midianites, uh, the Midianites merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, I do ask as we look at your word this morning that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would help us, dear God, to be more like you because of this time together today. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard of a lady named Corey Tenboom? Okay, Corey Tenboom and her family were devout Christians. <clears throat> and during the German occupation of the Netherlands, uh, her and her family harbored hundreds of Jews to protect them from the Nazi authorities. On February 28, 1944, a Dutch informant told the Nazis of the Ten Booms activities 
and the Gestapo raided their home. They kept their home under surveillance, and by the end of the day, 35 people, including the entire Ten Boom family, were arrested. Although the German soldiers thoroughly searched the house, they did not find the half-dozen Jews safely concealed in the hiding place. The six stayed in the cramped space for nearly three days before being rescued by the Dutch underground. All of the Ten Boom family members were incarcerated, including including, uh, Corey's 84-year-old father, who died in prison shortly thereafter. Corey and her sister, Betsy, were remanded to the notorious Ravensbrück concentration camp near Berlin. Betsy died there on December 16, 1944. Twelve days later, Corey was released for reasons unknown. They just let her go. It's easy to read this story and to hear about the Ten Boom family and, and think, wow, how tragic. And it was tragic. As I was wondering about the plans of Joseph and the the plans of Jacob, his dad, to take over the family business and and all the plans that were being put in place, I wonder if the Ten Booms, Corey in particular, had plans uh, for her life. Then World War II happened and German occupation took over. And all of a sudden her plans changed. And oftentimes we we get our plans changed on us, do we not? We have plans of our life for our lives, and we 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 envision ourselves going a certain direction for our lives, and then all of a sudden our plans change beyond our control. That things things happen beyond our control, and and now all of a sudden life is turned upside down. But just as God was working in the life of Joseph, God was working in the life of Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy. The impact that these two ladies had within the prison or the concentration camp of Ravensbrück, it was incredible. Uncounted number of women were saved because of the testimony of these two young these two young ladies in in this concentration camp if you've never read any of her books or or there's a movie I want to I want to say it's called the hiding place I'm not I'm not totally sure but in, incredible incredible influence that they had in the lives of so many and as I thought about Corey Tenboom and and her testimony and, and 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 everything that she has done in her life before her death in 1977. I believe that she would agree with Joseph when Joseph said this in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day, 
to save much people. If you know the life of Joseph, as we will, as we see going forward this year, Joseph's life absolutely reflects the testimony of his own words in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. But I believe Corey Ten Boom would say have said the same thing. In fact, if you read her books, she all but says that. The journey begins. Point number one this morning. Let's look at Jacob's request. Jacob's request. This is a... Let's read in verse 12. Uh, And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, Do not thy brethren uh, feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will uh, send thee unto them. And he said unto, unto him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray thee, see where it is, uh, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flock, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vow of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now, one of the things. <clears throat> that we see here is that Jacob seems to be concerned about his 10 oldest sons. Okay. I I hope you, you can see that in the context here. So they had probably been gone for a good, a good amount of time. But as I, as I read this, there seems to me, I, I, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me that there is an emphasis on where they are more than how long they've been gone. Does that make sense? Uh, let, let's read verse 13 again. And Israel said unto Joseph, Did not thy brethren uh, 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 feed the flock in Shechem? He, he didn't say, Hey, your, brethren, your brothers have been gone for for you know, six months or a year, or what, I don't know how long they've been gone. He doesn't say, hey, they've been gone a long time. Why don't you go check on them? What's he say? He said, didn't they go to Shechem? So to me, I read that in the context that he's more concerned about where they're at than how long they've been gone. So I asked myself, what's significant about Shechem? <laughs> You're laughing. You know the answer. Shechem is well. Let, let me let, let's back up and turn turn over to Genesis chapter 33. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 33, and verse 18. And Jacob came to Shechem, a city of Shechem. <clears throat> which is in the land of Canaan, which he came from, uh, I don't know how to say that one, and pitched his tent before the city. So Shechem was a city within the land, or or I said Shechem the first time. It's uh, Salem in the city uh, of the, let's read it again. There's too, too many similar things here. Okay, and Jacob came to Shalem, 
a city of Shechem. So, so Shechem is an, is an area, okay? Uh, we, it'd probably be equivalent to a county or, or, or whatever. So, so Shechem is a area, region, whatever, however we want to call it. Now, turn over to chapter 34. <clears throat> this is where it gets interesting. Chapter 34 in verse 1. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, so it's Jacob's daughter, uh, Dinah, uh, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. So here we have a man, a prince named Shechem, who lives in Shechem. <laughs> okay, this can get really confusing here, okay? Okay. He he defiles Jacob's daughter, Dinah. So Jacob's sons <clears throat> are furious because of what's taking place. And 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 I, I believe right, rightfully so. But what they do isn't necessarily good. They get together and they come up with a plan to get back at the prince of Shechem. So what they do, and I'm cutting the story short for time's sake, what they do is they convince the prince that in order to marry their sister, that he and all his men have to be circumcised. So, let's go down chapter 34 in verse 24. It says, And unto Hamar and unto Shechem his son hearken all that went out of the gate of his city. And every male was circumcised and all that went out of the gate of his city. And it came to pass on the third day, when they were sore, the two of the, uh, that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brethren, took each man his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all the males. And they slew Hamar and Shechem his son with the edge of the sword, and took Dinah out of Shechem's house, and went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain, and spoiled the city, because they had defiled their sister. So, <clears throat> Jacob had a lot of reasons to be worried about his sons going to Shechem. Why? Do you think his sons were welcome in Shechem? after what they had done? Probably not. So Jacob was concerned and sends Joseph to uh, check on the safety of the brothers. And something that has kind of always, I don't know if trouble's the right word, but it's a question I've always had, is... Why did Jacob send Joseph? Could not, could not, 
uh, have Jacob have sent one of his servants? Because Jacob was a very wealthy man. He was a, he was a very wealthy herdsman. And he, had, he probably had uh, many, many, many servants. But why does he send Joseph? Well, because he knows he's going to tell him the truth. But also, I, as, as I was kind of thinking about it, I, I could be wrong here, I don't know. But Joseph had to travel about 60 miles to Shechem from where, from where they were. So he had to travel about 60 miles. But I, I, I wonder if part of Jacob's plan was because Joseph would someday take over the business, the family business, he would need to know how to handle these kind of situations. Don't know. We, we are not told why Joseph, uh, Jacob sent Joseph. All we know is that he did. So <clears throat> we, we see point number one, Jacob's request. Now, we're going to kind of change gears a little bit here because point number two may sound a little strange. Point number two, unconditional love. Un Unconditional love. We see unconditional love in two ways in this story. The first way we see it is the unconditional love of a parent. Now, <clears throat> those of you that are parents can probably relate to uh, some of this. But the unconditional love of a parent Jacob loved his ten sons. Now, they were all, we would, we would call them scoundrels or shady at best, but he still loved them. He loved them enough to not send a servant, but to send his favorite son. It's no secret, it is no secret that Joseph was David or, uh, Jacob's favorite son. And he sent his favorite son. Now look at verse 14. Verse, uh, uh, verse 14, <clears throat> hold on, let me, chapter 37 and verse 14. There's an interesting phrase here that, that caught my attention. And, and the verse 14 says, And he said, Go uh, to him, go, I pray thee, see whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks, and bring me word again. And he sent him out of the vow of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Now, the, 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 the phrase that I found interesting is the, is the phrase that he sent him out of the vow or the valley. The word, the word vow there is just short for valley. And he sent him out of the valley of Hebron to Shechem. You say, okay, so what's the big deal about that? Well, the Bible doesn't say that he just sent him from Hebron to, to Shechem, which it could have said that. But it very specifically says out of the valley of Hebron, to Shechem. What is, what is significant about a valley? It's not a, 
a valley, a place of safety. And there's an incredible picture here, I believe, that God is trying to give us. That, that Jacob takes his favorite son because he unconditionally loves his other sons. He takes his favorite son and he sends him out of the protection of the valley into literally the unknown. Into a, a, an area of Shechem that his family is hated. So Joseph or Jacob sends Joseph out knowing the potential danger that is out there. And as I, as I thought about it and I, I contemplated this idea of out of the valley, I thought of John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Does that sound familiar? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, the, the Bible here doesn't say that Jacob let Joseph go. The Bible says he sent him. And God sent his son for you and me. What an incredible picture for us. Jesus left the safety of heaven to come to this wicked world. To live here for 33 plus years. To die on a cross for your sins and for mine. That's how much he loves us. What, a, what an incredible picture of unconditional love. The second way that we see unconditional love in this passage is the unconditional love of a brother. The unconditional love of a brother. Joseph loved his brothers. And as we see all the way through Scripture, you, particularly near the end of Genesis, when he is reunited with his brothers, Joseph still loves his brothers. Even after everything they did to him, he still loved them. Joseph knows by this point that his brothers hate him. Everybody knew that his brothers hated him. But how do we know that Joseph loved his brothers unconditionally? And the answer is this. He, he didn't stop searching for his brothers until he found them. What a, what a wonderful picture of the love of Christ in our lives. Christ never gives up on us, does he? And we know by the character of Joseph through the rest of the story that had he gotten to Dothan and his brothers had moved on again, he'd have just kept right on going until he found his brothers. Unconditional love. Let me ask you a question before we go on. I want to I challenge you right here and right now. 
Because as I was sitting at my desk and that the reality of, of the love of Joseph for his brothers that hated him. This question came into my mind and I believe God planted it in my heart and my life to ask myself this question. What limit do you put on your love? Where do you draw a line in the sand and say, okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not going to love anymore. And all I could say to myself was, oh my. The answer to that question is found in Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him until seven times. And Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Now we've talked about that this this passage here in, at Grace many many times, but I want to I want to kind of, in case you're not familiar with this passage, I want to I want to talk about it for a minute. Now my understanding is this: Jewish tradition at the time was that a a a, a Jewish person had to forgive somebody by the law four times. At the, the, they, they sinned against them the fifth time, pow, they, they could just lower the hammer. But they had to forgive them four times. And Peter comes to Jesus and he says, and he says hey, I want to be a good Christian. And he says, how many times, Jesus, do I need to forgive my brethren? Seven times? What's it? Joseph, uh, uh, Peter's like, look at me. I'm a good guy. I'm not going to drop the hammer until they do it eight times. And Jesus looks at Peter and what does he say? Seventy times seven. Now, does that mean you, you can get your calculator out and like, okay, pal, that was 489. One more time. I'm going to lower the lower the boom. Is that what Jesus is saying? No. Jesus is saying, just keep forgiving. Just keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. And Joseph embodied the ability to keep forgiving. After all the horrible things that his brothers had said, Joseph had unconditional love for his brothers. I want to say something here. I want to, I want to read it so that I, I, I get it right. You truly learn what it means to love when those that you love hate you. You truly learn what it means to love when those that love that the, the those that you love hate you. Joseph was a man who showed unconditional love. Luke chapter 23, verses 33 and 34. 
And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, they were uh, uh, there, they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and one on the left, then said, Jesus, Father, forgive them. That's love. For they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Just keep forgiving. Just keep forgiving. Keep forgiving. Part of our problem is we only want to love people that love us. Am I right? It's a whole lot easier. It's a, it, it, it's a whole lot easier to love people that you like. But what about those that you don't like? What about those that don't like you? We're still commanded to love. And Joseph embodied that. Listen to the words of Jesus himself in the Sermon on the, what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 45. It says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemy. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the child of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good. And sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Jesus' words here in, in, on, on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' words here were, were beyond controversial because it went against everything the Jews believed. It, 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 it goes against our natures as human beings. Why? What, what does our nature do? Our nature says, hey, if somebody hurts me, I'm going to hurt you back. More. That's what our nature is. But Jesus says, look at, look at verse 43 again. It says, ye have heard, it, heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. See, that is, that's human nature. Jesus says, no, 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 no. But I say, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Earlier I spoke of Corey Ten Boom. After she survived the concentration camp at Ravensbrook, which was a horrible, horrible thing that she had to endure. Forgiveness was something that she struggled with. It was something that she had to get settled in her own heart. Now, I'm not going to 
go into details, but there's a story. And if you, if you want to, it's really easy to find on the, on the internet. But she encounters at one point, she's, she actually gives a lecture. Um, uh, and, and as she's greeting the crowd afterward, somebody walks up to her and sticks his hand out to her. And she immediately recognizes him as being one of the guards from Ravenbrook. And he says to her, will you forgive me? She came face to face with what she had conceived of being evil. She, at that moment in her in her life, had to make the choice. Am I going to forgive or not? I have a picture for you. It's a quote with, with her picture on it. Later in life, she wrote this. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is the power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. She knew what it meant to forgive. Joseph had unconditional love for his brothers. What does it take us? What does it take me? What does it take you to forgive? Later, another quote for Corey Timboom says this. To forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover that prisoner was you. Last week I spoke about the hatred that Joseph's brothers had toward him and how hatred played a big role in the life of Joseph. But I'm here to tell you, the unconditional love of Joseph played a bigger role in the development of Joseph's life. We live in a world today that is divided. Unfortunately, the world wants to teach our young people to hate. We can't live there. Joseph would never have been able to accomplish the things that he accomplished if he had had, if he had, had hate in his heart. But what did Joseph have? Unconditional love. Jacob, his father, 
had parental unconditional love. Let me challenge you with this in closing. What does it take you to stop loving? Tell you what, I, I would, God challenged my heart with that thought. And I'll be honest, I didn't necessarily like what I saw. It's easy to love people that love you and that are nice. But you know what true love is when you love people that hate you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and <clears throat> for the work you do in our lives. God, you have been so good to us, so kind, so gracious. And Lord, as I <coughs> contemplate the, the message that you put on my heart this morning, I, I am so thankful for your unconditional love in my life. Thankful. Thank you. Thank you. Help me, dear God, to love more. With every, bed, every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you.